Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Welcome back to the Sand Hills Podcast. This is the first episode of Season 4. We're very excited to be with you guys. My name is Pastor John. Uh, as we jump back into the podcast, uh, we have a theme for the season, which is talking about kind of pillars and problems. What are things uh, that are misconceptions about the Christian faith that are based off of what we really do believe but what do we really believe? And so we're excited to talk with you guys about that this season. But the podcast was designed to respond to real-time events from a Christian perspective. And one of the big-time events right now is the invasion of Ukraine. So today's episode with Pastor Sean will be about that. We are by no means um, national strategy experts uh, nor military experts, but we are two pastors with a heart for the Lord. And we wanted to have a conversation about this. Um, be informed by scripture about this to help you in your conversations as it's all over the news and all over, all over our topics of conversation these days. So how can we engage in it in a Christian perspective? So it's a little bit uh, off theme from what we'll be talking about throughout the rest of the season, but we thought this was an important conversation. We hope that it edifies you in the same way that it edified us. Thanks. Because without the God, without Christ, mm. there is no hope for like, there's no lasting justice. There's mm. no hope for actual true peace. Mm. So it's like, yeah, you, the gospel needs to, to be there. Christ's love needs to, to change people's hearts. No, the only time you're really going to be free and fulfilled is when, as a created being, you begin to walk in the way that he's created you to operate. But what you do need to do is just be a faithful representation of what you believe. Live it, live it boldly, don't hedge on anything, and just simply be who you are for the sake of Christ and the gospel and the church. And don't think about it in terms of like, did I make sure that they understood that I think they're wrong? In every generation, we need to evangelize the church. There is no Christian culture. Christianity is the message of God's Son sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to choose him or not? And I often tell people, people don't leave church because of God. Mm -hmm. They leave because of other people. John. Hey, John. Thanks for being on the show, man. Uh, appreciate you uh, taking time out of your Thursday to sit down and just have a candid conversation yep. about what is happening in Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's one of the things we wanted to preface with is that we, we are just two pastors. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've done some looking into news and stuff. I've heard I you know, what I have heard on the news. Um, read a couple books on theory in theology, but mm -hmm. yeah, we are not national security experts. This is not a discussion on foreign policy. This is a conversation of two pastors saying, so what do we do about this? How yeah. do we think about this? How do we look at it? How do we engage it? Yeah. Um, and how can we be praying about it yeah. and, and supporting our brothers and sisters? Honestly, on both sides, there are Christians in Russia and there are Christians in Ukraine. And so how do we talk about that, figure that out and walk through that? So we hope you guys enjoy it. Um, and we'll just dive in. So I'm just kind of give a quick recap. It's been all over the news. Uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. They were doing military exercises on the border and in Belarus um, for a couple months. And p people were getting a little anxious because about every time they do that, it's like, or they get to actually use a, a mobilized force against their neighbor. And this time they did. Mm. And so they invaded um, 
bombarded Ukraine uh, from the sky and from the land and from the sea, and then did a three three front assault: one from the Belarusian area, one from eastern Ukraine, and one from Crimea in the south. Okay. And so they kind of pushed in. Uh, as far as we know right now, um, they were trying to seize control of the country within days, and now we're at almost week two. I think today is, is week day two. Day 14. Yeah, 14 days later, um, which is huge for the Ukraine Ukrainians from a, from a strategic point of view. That they've been able to hold back um, the Russian military for that long. And one of the things is we wanted to respond to this quickly, and that's what part of the podcast was made for, right, was yeah. that we would be able to talk about current events currently. Yeah, from a biblical um, perspective. Exactly. Not just talk about theology and things, so that's good. But when things like this happen, we can talk about it, and we can we can help our you know listeners or viewers think, okay, how should I process this? Because because honestly, we're having these conversations anyway. Like yeah. it's Ukraine is coming up probably in most people's conversations, maybe once a day, maybe once every other day. Yeah. So yeah, this is a great time to be a resource and go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I'll yeah. think about that next time I talk about it or look into it or whatever. Yeah. And engage the topic from a Christian worldview. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. So that's what's happening now uh, with day 14. Um, most recently that's been in the news, the headline for the last 12 hours-ish has been that uh, the Russians bombarded um, a maternity ward. Mm. Um, which is really horrific, and yeah. we've been seeing a lot of images and things like that come out in the last few days um, with civilian targets being intentionally targeted, Yeah, um, which has been really heartbreaking. It's really hard to see. I mean, I, I think of the same feelings that I had when you saw the images coming out of Syria, which was yeah. also being done by the Russians and the Syrian government. Yeah, um, And so it's been, I mean, you just feel like these things just keep happening. Um and so this is just how we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. This is the state of the world. We live in a fallen place. Wars happen, um, and Christians get caught up in it. Right. Um, and so I know friends who are running a church in Ukraine, and their city's being bombarded every day, and they're trying to do evacuations. But we'll talk more about that coming up. And so now we're kind of caught up. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we are. The first question that I think we should talk about is how should Christians respond when they find themselves in this kind of environment? So <clears throat> that question um, seems to me to have like a couple of facets to it, right? So you could go from the perspective of um, the Christians in Ukraine, mm-hmm. how do I respond in that environment? Yeah. And then Christians, let's say over here, mm-hmm. looking at it, how do we respond to the concept of it? Or even, or even then, you know, how do we lend a hand or, or what is our role mm-hmm. in that? Um, but either way, <clears throat> what I wanted to do is, I think it's appropriate to start off first with any question like that. Okay, how do we respond as Christians to X? Mm-hmm. It ultimately comes down to your view of God, mm. right? So what is God like? How can I be like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I got actually a, several books that I wanted to pull from today. Um, this is Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Mm. Highly recommend it. It's actually very easy to read, Um but his quote from this is, there's a couple of things I want to pull out of this. He wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Mm. So it's like about right thinking about God. That's yeah. what this whole book is about. And then there's a brilliant quote later on when he's contemplating certain aspects of God's character. Um, he wrote, 
because we are the handiwork of God, it follows that all our problems and their solutions are theological. Some knowledge of what kind of God it is that operates the universe is indispensable to a sound philosophy of life and a sane outlook on the world scene. Like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Because everything is under God's purview. God's created everything. God's still sovereign over everything. So having an understanding of what God is like lends us to be able to have a right. proper response to mm. these kind of scenarios. So I want to start with that. Yeah, if we're going to build our lives around the confession that we are Christians. Right. And I, I think of First Peter, right, where he says, in all of your conduct, be holy. Right. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. Right. And and that's the standard. Right. Which God, is, no God is the God standard. God is the standard. Like, oh my gosh, that's perfection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, it, and it feels impossible because it is impossible, except when you rely on the Holy Spirit to make it possible. Right. Because he's the one who can do the impossible things. Right. We can't do it by our own strength. And so you see a horrific situation. What's our gut reaction? Anger, frustration, worry, anxieties, all natural things, right? And and, and things that um, can push us maybe to uh, rash thinking. Right. And this isn't just with war. That's with, you know, when someone cuts you off anything. on the street. Yeah, anything. You know? Any scenario in life, you it's really... It's hard to have the presence of mind to in those split second second decisions, but to have your decision influenced mm. by what does scripture say, but it's not but it's not just not to demean scripture, but scripture is important because it shows us the character of God. Right. So what does scripture say about the character of God and how he has ordered things mm-hmm. and how I'm to respond because of Yeah. How does that is? shape me right. in my decision making? So <clears throat> so that's that's the context that you gotta think in and that and that really just makes the question so much bigger right because then you go well do i even know what god is like mm-hmm. um and i think that's part of the core of it that's where um that's where kind of the struggle comes down to what what is god like because i think so much this comes down to oftentimes and we're going to get into this as we talk but like you know is it a, is god a god of peace or a god of war you know, mm. is he, you know, so that, that, those questions come into mind and that's yeah. where you really have to go to scripture and you have to say, I will let scripture influence me more than my culture. Cause that's a thing like, um, you know, I, I enjoy shooting. I enjoy going to a range and, and, mm-hmm. and shooting for sport and everything. That's all I'm not in the military or anything like that, but I need to let, you know, what scripture says about maybe use of violence or defense, whatever, I need to let scripture be my guide versus just saying, well, I'm an American, so I have a second amendment, so I have the right to do this. So I can just like, get it. Yeah. I mean, that's fine, and that's, a, that's actually a good thing. I believe it's a good thing, mm-hmm. but scripture needs to be the superior yeah, order. Absolutely. So I need to know what scripture says, and then everything else is under that. Right. Um, so that's where we start that conversation of, what do Christians do when they find themselves in this kind of war-torn environment, wars right. out there? Um, and again, it comes down to how we view God. Is he got a peace, judgment, and there's tension. There's both. Yeah, We see both in Scripture, and it's all over Scripture. Mm. Um, and you see, obviously, you know, the, the cliches, you see more judgment and wrath in the Old Testament and more love and peace in the New Testament. But it's actually not true either. And there's a great book, too, um, that I've been reading 
has been thinking about this. It's called Love in Hard Places by D.A. Carson. Mm. If you're familiar with Sandhills, you've heard Pastor Jeff mention D.A. Carson many times because he's a great theologian and a great yeah, absolutely. exegeter, a great um, person to explain scripture and explain passages. So there's even a couple things I want to read out of here. Um, where am I? Page. Yeah. Like there's some just sort of this dichotomy not a dichotomy, but there's this tension that we live in. Um, you know, he's saying we've seen, and he's laid out a lot of arguments in the book already at this point, but at least in a preliminary way, that Christian love for Christians does not exclude church discipline. So you can mm. think about it in that concept. So breaking down to, into smaller bits instead of just this massive thing about is war okay, is it not okay? Let's break the concept down into smaller bits. Christians are to love each other, right? We have so many of those commandments. Yeah. And yet, there's also church discipline. Mm-hmm. So there is some judgment, let's put that word on it. Yeah, sure. And then God's love for the just and the unjust does not exclude final judgment. Mm. So God is, even in the New Testament, we get so much love your enemies, God loves you for God so love the world, on and on and on and on. So many people have so much to say about love in the New Testament, which is great, because yeah. God is love. But then you also get, at the end of time, he's still going to judge People Everyone. and even even Jesus has some pretty harsh words about final judgment. Mm. Um, so there's that that tension in Scripture about who God is, about judgment, war, peace. So I think just a starter. Then all that in the background. I mean, I will say I would recommend reading that book. I, it, it takes a lot of time to actually think properly and well through this mm-hmm. thing, and. Um, you know, I'm, I'm by no means a, an expert on it, but we think about, we've been thinking a little bit about it, and we're trying to think biblically about it. Right. Um, so I, I think Christians have to start with the idea of we ought to desire peace. Yeah. You know, like, that's pretty clear. At least that's clear in Scripture. And whenever we go through, like, sticky parts of Scripture, and like, you know, from, like, hermeneutics and studying Bible, right. like, where Scripture is clear, start there. Like, right. Absolutely. Clear Scripture helps interpret unclear Scripture. And it's pretty clear that, we are to be people of peace. There's several passages that talk about, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Mm-hmm. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. Like, we started a whole conference called Peacemakers right. about that whole theme. Like, Christians are supposed to be the ones bringing peace, right? not bringing war. War, absolutely. So that's the start. Yeah. You know, that's the heart of it. So that's from a conceptual level. Christians over here, not in Ukraine, Christians over here going, that's kind of where we want to start. Like, that... Our default shouldn't be, well, let's always just go, let's go. Go straight to conflict, yeah. Yeah. Um, where it gets more difficult is when you see someone struggling, someone suffering. Suffering. Mm-hmm. Then Unjustly. Yeah. And so that, and that brings in a great conversation about the whole just war theory. Mm-hmm. And I know we had a podcast earlier, uh, was it first season? It was the first season, yeah. It was my dad, yeah. actually, who was a colonel in the army and he's a chaplain. And so that's one of it. He got it. He got his second master's degree in ethics. Wow. And his job in the army for uh, a couple of years was to teach ethics to those who would become, uh, uh, kind of general officers. Okay. Um, you know, to learn like, how do you do just war? How well, does that happen? And that, and that's, and that's a funny thing too, is like, you go, okay, I mean, you think about just war, but actually then that like, it goes into a broader thing of just ethics in general. Yeah. What is right? What is wrong? How do you make those ethical decisions? Um, so that's why this is a much bigger conversation. Um, so definitely go back to that 
podcast is a good resource and also just do some more looking into stuff on your own. Um, but you know, so cards on the table, I, I subscribe to the just war theory. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it seems to be scriptural. Right. Um, so, you know, in that sense, there is some, I think, responsibility for Christians to support, mm-hmm. um, just causes, just causes and to support, um, aiding mm-hmm. people who are unjustly, you know, suffering. Yeah. I mean, and there's, the thing is, it's a huge complex web of things though, because then yeah. geopolitics plays into things and all that kind of stuff comes in. Um, but on a conceptual level, I think there's scriptural support mm-hmm. for that. And I, I love what you said about that idea of supporting um, just war. Right. And that is the aspect that the the number one tenet of just war is that a just war cannot be started by an aggressor. Right. That's not you, a just you, war. That's not a just war. If you, if you are an aggressor going into a place um, seeking political change through the use of force— um, or just seeking to grow your own power and power base, if those are your goals. That's not a just war. Yeah, that a is. just war um, for our listeners and watchers. A, a just war. The just war theory that Augustine is saying is that when your neighbor is threatened by an external force, you have an ethical and moral obligation to defend that neighbor out of love for neighbor. Right. Um, the Pope said similar things about the vaccine uh, when he was talking to the Catholic community. He said the the commandment that we have to take here is love of neighbor, mm-hmm. you know, and love each other as Christ has loved us. And so do this. And mm-hmm. and that was kind of his talk, talking point about it. Augustine, from a similar, similar vein, says out of love for neighbor, you can do this. Right. Um, and I think that that is a, a really interesting point. Um, and as the question said, you know, kind of how do, how do Christians form when they find themselves in this environment? It's important to remember that when we, as the Christian community, the, the world body of Christians, um, living in violent times is no new thing to us. Right. We're very used to it. Right. Um, I mean, you can even go all the way back to the Old Testament. Look at Esther. Mm-hmm. I mean, M- Mordecai and Esther were the saviors of the Jewish people in an incredibly violent time. Right. And they were able to use where God had put them peacefully just through dialogue in changing the political atmosphere to save lives from the aggression of another person. Right. That's a great example. You see Daniel living in an oppressive time, working for the government, but maintaining his um, godly values. You see Jesus living in occupied Palestine. Oh, yeah. That, that The whole Israelite state at that point was a puppet state. Right? Oh, yeah. And they yeah. lived with Romans, and they're oh. Roman soldiers on yeah. patrol. Uh, and so living in occupied time... And Paul, also living in occupied, yeah, you know, under, area, yeah. but was Roman. Right. Roman citizen. Very interesting. It's very interesting. And, I mean, yeah, there's there's so much complexity to that thing because, yeah, there's, I, I, it's just, it's fascinating to, to really delve into that part of Scripture. Like, does Scripture say some stuff about that? Like, it actually says some about it. Like, it does, Romans yeah. 13 talks about submitting to authorities um, I just want to read it verbatim, otherwise I'm going to misquote it and start getting heretical here. Um, and I don't want to do that. Uh, always a good uh, yeah, bit let's, of discernment. Let's not be, let's not be <laughs> heretical. You know, um, so starting in verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Okay, mm. then he makes some more arguments about that. 
Um, do what is good, you'll receive his, like the state's approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Mm. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Paul is writing this in the time where the governing authorities were Rome. Yeah, one of their favorite forms of execution is crucifixion. I mean, you're like, what? So there's a sense. So to get sort of into more of that just war, and, and, so, and I will say, some Christians, do also, some Christians do argue against just war theory. Mm-hmm. Some Christians are pacifists. Yeah. Um, and while I disagree with them, that wouldn't be a thing where I think you'd go, okay, you're just off the rails. You're no longer a Christian, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I can't stand you. I think there's a way to still find um, unity in the body through that. Yeah. But actually, for that reason, I wanted to read. I wanted to read. I think I haven't started reading it, but there's a book called Fight by Preston Sprinkle mm-hmm. um, that is about Christian pacifism, nonviolence. So he's using the he's using the scriptures to justify his nonviolent yeah. point of view. Um, so I want to read that, and I recommend. That's just another good practice: is read the opposing point of view. Mm-hmm. You have a view on it. Great, but if you only ever read or think about people who agree with you, you'll never actually get your view challenged strongly. Mm-hmm. And so then you might, it, it just, it's not, it's you have a weak perspective because you haven't heard the opposing point of view. So, yeah. anyway, look into that. If you're like, no, just war is, of course, war is right. Bible never says anything against it. Well, this guy apparently mm-hmm. wrote a book claiming there is something against yeah. it. So, there might be worthwhile checking Might be into a balance it. somewhere in there. There might be something, or he might be wrong, but. You should know what the scriptures say and what they don't say, and this will right. help clarify that. Um, but but anyway, so it's like the government, you know, the government does have a power to execute authority. So, and I think honestly, I think that passage in Romans gives some credibility to just war. Mm-hmm. Like, so maybe okay, I don't have maybe I don't personally have authority to go over to Ukraine and start fighting people, but maybe I do. I don't know, but maybe a state does because because mm. there is the role of the state to. In that Romans passage, the role of a state was to um, maintain justice and order. And order, mm-hmm. like it was the state to punish wrongdoers. That was Paul's R- right. Criminals. Criminals. So, what do we see in our world? We see criminals and mm-hmm. illegal activity right now on the part of Russia against Ukraine on a on an international yes. platform. So then it's like, well, might it might be the role of other governing bodies to stop that. To right. intervene in some way. Mm-hmm. I don't know the way. I'm not a politician. I'm not a tactician. I'm not a military person at all. But maybe in some way, it seems to be the role of good people and of just people seeking justice to intervene and stop the wrongdoer. And defend people who are being oppressed or attacked. Right. Yeah. Unju- yeah, yeah. Unjustly. And, and, of course, there's many more arguments and stuff to go down that road. But Yeah. And, and so we see the example in, in Scripture, like I said, Esther, Daniel, Paul, we see individuals taking part in the governance or in their uh, taking advantage of their citizenship rights, you know, living in an earthly kingdom, but representing God's kingdom perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so as you come into this, we see already that Christians can obviously serve in civil government because we have great godly people doing that. Mm-hmm. 
Is it okay for Christians to serve in the armed forces or in resistance movements then is the next question. Yeah. So, again, given given just war theory, I would say yes. Mm. And actually given, and again, again, just war theory has to be subject to Scripture as well. And I right. believe Scripture has informed that pretty well. Um, and it's funny, even reading uh, Carson's book, I didn't realize how many more people have talked about, like Calvin and Thomas Aquinas and just mm. theologians throughout history have talked about just war theory and, and, and um, reason from Scriptures to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so serving in the army, like, so yeah, like you said, serving in government, if, if, let me take a step back. You know, some of, like, you might, people, it seems like a good argument against some of that would mm-hmm. be some of, like, Jesus' commands to love your enemy mm-hmm. um, turn the and other turn cheek. the other cheek. You know, all those things in Matthew 5, like, 38 through, or 43 through 48, mm-hmm. Romans 12, 17, those have all similar language, repay mm-hmm. no one evil for evil, do right. what is good, live at peace with all. It's, yeah, as far as it concerns yeah. you, those turn, who bear the sword will die by yeah, the sword. Yeah, all those things, you start, you go, oh, that, man, that sounds like maybe you shouldn't, right? Um, but background, and again, just hyping up Don Carson's book, um, it seems like a lot of what Jesus is talking about, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, is like interpersonal type relationships and mm. interpersonal type things. When he talks about oaths, when he talks about, um, there's an, oh, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that whole thing. And, and Jesus goes, and then he goes on to and love your enemies. And, um, so there's, Great exegesis of those passages in that book, and I don't have time to explain it, but it seems a lot of interpersonal stuff. But back to the Romans 13 passage, right? it is very clear that the state has a responsibility to do it. Okay, so the state has a responsibility to do it. So the question is, can we be part of that state? I would argue, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like there's already... There are already people in the state. There's people part of the state. So then, then, it, get, then it would get nitpicky as to, well, we're, we're, I could be... You know, I could be in a low enough government position to not affect war, but if I get into a high enough government position where I start overseeing war or war or being part of that decision-making mm-hmm. process, then I'm doing sin. And that just seems like an arbitrary, you know, mm-hmm. definition. But I think if if there is a reality of war, and it is the role of the government to administer justice, so the role of government, the government controls military, I would want people led by Jesus mm-hmm. helping to administer justice because we know for a fact, even in just wars, it's they're conducted by unjust people, mm. sinful people, broken people, and injustice happens all the time in war, yeah, even in a just war. There are people who take advantage of things. There are people who go too far. Um, so I would say it is a good thing and a beneficial thing for Christians, people desiring peace, desiring true justice, um, to be involved in that process to, in some ways, I think, limit and restrain evil when there's such an opportunity for evil mm-hmm. because you're, I mean, you're going out, your point in the military is you're gonna be killing people. Mm-hmm. And then you need some people with actual morals and self-control and all those things that should be markers of Christians on the front lines mm-hmm. to go, hey guys, no. That's not right. We're not going to do this. Yeah, you know, we're absolutely. we're gonna we're gonna bring justice, and that's where we stop. Yeah. We're not gonna start going on revenge. We're not gonna start doing that kind of stuff because that immediately becomes unjust. Yeah, and that's one of the fascinating things. The the NATO 
a round of ammunition points to that perspective. The round of ammunition that's used standard for rifles is a round that is designed to be non-lethal. It obviously can be lethal. But the goal is not to just kill everyone it touches, but the goal is to wound, which is then to have two other people come and take care of, you know, if you're, if you're fighting an enemy that's going to take care of their wounded, which you, you would hope humanity is coming up in that situation, um, where someone is wounded and then two people come to help take care of the wounded, you've just removed three combatants mm. from the fight because now two people are going to go and help their comrade and they're not going to be fighting. And so they're not a target at that situation because the medics would be coming. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of that, like you can see from the strategic mindset is to win the war and also secure the peace, right? which is a huge part of it is how do you that wage war and secure peace? But before we get our head ahead of ourselves on that aspect, I wanted to come back to, uh, so we can see Christian's, you know, serving the armed forces, serving in government positions to be the voices of peace yeah. Uh, because you see uh, in Scripture again in First Peter where it says, put away all malice, right? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things that can happen during wartime is revenge. Right. Well, they've done this to us, so now when we get the chance, we're going to hit back. And even harder. Right. And, then and I'm the, gonna, the they Christian, did this to me, and I'm going to just roll exactly. over. And you're like, mm. and right. So then the, and this is why we want Christians in those positions, because they go, we've beaten back the enemy to where we have our original you know, standard that they right. violated. Yeah. Now, how can we build the peace? Right. And I think that um, the United States military and military, you know, industrial complex and infra infrastructure did an amazing job at this post-World War II in Europe, where we said, how can we rebuild? Mm -hmm. How can we uh, make sure that life can thrive right. in these places that have been devastated by war? Right. Um, and people would be influenced by, you know, malice would just go, you know what, this is their fault. We're just going to sail back to the United States and they can deal with the mess that they made. Mm -hmm. We said, no, okay, how can we help and reestablish yeah. um, life in places that have seen nothing but death for far too long? Well, and it's funny because you and I have had this conversation prior is, in fact, almost the opposite was happening post-World War One, Right. Where they made some mistakes, where some of the European allies made some mistakes and were kind of being brutal to the German people. And then actually, unfortunately, that fostered the environment that... Created World War II. World War II, which yeah. is like, all right, so maybe, you know, there's something to it. It's Absolutely. like when you start just making these like personal vendettas or even like geopolitical vendettas, it doesn't help. Yeah. And I think that that then informs the question of can you be in a resistance movement as a non-government entity? Now, define, hard, res yeah, define resistance exactly. movement. Like... That's man. That's that's tough because then you get oh to the gosh. Romans aspect. Submit to authority. Submit to authority. <laughs> How do you? You yeah, know what I mean? Because they're instituted by God. So and so immediately, and I don't personally know the answer to this one yet. Like I haven't done enough thinking about it. Some people probably have, but immediately you got to go to the American Revolution. Mm. Was that a biblical thing to do? Would that technically be sanctioned by God to? revolt against your governing authority in a, in a war, in a violent way. And you've mm -hmm. started war, right? I don't know the answer to that right now. Honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to reason from scripture well enough right now on one side or the other. Um, personally, I'm glad it happened because we're here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm glad it happened. Now that's the thing that, and that's the cool thing about this whole thing, because it always comes back to your view of God. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not, like, let's, 
whether or not the American Revolution would have been justified biblically. It happened, and I think in God's sovereignty, he created a good thing out of it, hmm. you know? But he's that using could, it. Yeah. But that could be said of many sinful acts. Yeah. Many sinful acts, God turns around and makes into how good, good things. that he is. He exactly. can take bad and evil and transform it. Exactly. Which doesn't justify no. the evil or the sin, but it does prove his goodness and his capacity exactly. to bring justice. Exactly. So it always, for me, it just comes back into trusting the sovereignty of, of God, who he says he is, um, and we go from there. But those are worthwhile yeah. things to think about. I think... Um, when you think of resistance movement, you tend to tend to think the French, you know, during World War II and, you know, blowing things up. And, or Red Dawn. You know, you yeah. the movie Red Dawn? <laughs> <laughs> given, oh, given today's climate. <laughs> there it is. Just give the kids AK-47. <laughs> that was the whole movie. Um, no, but, but you see, one of the things that you can realize about resistance movements and Christians, um, Bible-believing, sin-hating, Jesus-loving Christians in Germany during World War II, um, took part in nonviolent resistance often. And and they some of them took part in violent though. They did. You got Bonhoeffer who yeah. was a part of a conspiracy, part of a conspiracy to kill to assassinate. Hitler. And so it's like, wow. And yeah, so that kind of so that kind of resistance yeah, I guess I guess revolution might be different than resistance. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say again, putting it in our literal context of Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. Could you be a resistance movement against an occupying force coming in? You know, I think yes. Mm-hmm. I think it because that seems loving. Because am I just going to let these people come in and literally murder mm-hmm. women and children? Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want that. That's not loving. Mm-hmm. That's not loving my neighbor. Now, the other hand, you go, well, it's not, is it loving your enemy to kill them? It's like, mm-hmm. but it's not loving my neighbor. Yeah. Like so, it, it's a it's there's a tension, hard. and there's I mean, it's great. There's great discussion and lots of literature and things to read. But that's that's the tension is. Well, does that love supersede this love? Because I still am mm-hmm. commanded to do this. But but there's justice. So it's like, right. but if they're doing an unjust thing. So how can I live in that tension? But yeah. And we've seen Ukrainians be taking part courageously in all these things, defending their, their brothers and their sisters, mm-hmm. their families, their neighbors. I mean, um, civilians just being armed and yeah, and ready to go. And, and you see businesses transforming their what they create to help run the war effort to defend yeah. their country. You see... Even in places that are occupied in this last week, there have been, I think, four or five mass protests against Russian occupation where they're peacefully marching in the streets. That's brave. It is incredibly brave. And you're seeing the same thing happen in Russia. Yeah. Where And so this is one of the important things is to remember that we have brothers and sisters and there are good people who are already living in the nation state that's perpetrating evil. And they're looking at it and saying... We need to stand up because we know that the government that is over us is wrong right. in this instance. And they're actually, this was uh, came out today, there's a lot of censorship going on. They turned off uh, social media in Russia. They turned off uh, Twitter, Facebook, all that mm. stuff. And they passed a new law that if you are spreading fake news, uh, which is anything that disagrees with what the state has put out, right. is a 15-year prison sentence. 15-year prison sentence. And they have the right to stop you and just take your phone from you so, and check your messages. So then what does it look like to submit in that scenario? I think biblically, you know, if you're like, do you not protest? I think you could still protest, but mm-hmm. here's the submission. You protest knowing I'm going to get arrested. Gonna get a, I'm going to get arrested. And, and that's, that's gonna be exactly the way it is. what Paul did. Yeah. And that's the same thing that Daniel did. And so I think that's a huge picture of how we operate is that do governments uh, exist 
because God allows them to exist, mm -hmm. to bring justice to the evildoer. That is their role. Yes, that is their role. And there are criminals that the Russian government, even today, has arrested that should be arrested. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. When, when you are convicted by love of neighbor out of your love of God, how you view God, how you think of God, which is informs everything that you do, and you go, I need to communicate that we need to stop perpetrating evil as a nation. So if you're a Russian and you're protesting, then you do the same thing as Daniel and as Paul. You go, I know what I have to do. I know what I'm commanded to do. Right. But I also know that I have to submit to the punishment. And that's, I think, one of the big things is that... Yeah, those guys um, didn't go down, like, throwing punches and stuff. No, I, mean, <laughs> he, I mean, Paul almost got killed, but he was like, I'm a Roman citizen. And he submitted himself yeah. to the process. Right. And he utilized, even inside of that process, the evangelization of the people who are perpetrating evil against him. Right. And so I think that that is a huge um, kind of uh, uh, standard to go off of. Okay, how have we done this before? And it's when governments get out of hand and become unjust, right. then we have the responsibility to stand up and seek justice, but submit to the process, trusting that God is in control even of that. Yep. And that he can use those circumstances for us to evangelize to those who are in prison, evangelize to our captors. And this is what Paul did possibly even take it all the way to the Supreme Court or to the leader and say, you know, here's my case. I have, a, I have the right as a citizen for you to have to hear this and for me to go through the appeal process. And I'm going to tell you about Jesus the entire time. Right. Because everything I'm doing isn't out of, you know, me wanting to seize power myself, but out of my love for neighbor because Christ first loved me. Yeah. Or even, even to some extent, personal well-being. That I don't think that would... I don't think there was... I don't think you can make the case that that was Paul's main focus is mm -hmm. his personal well-being. Well, I got my rights, so I'll make sure I, I'm, I'm sure taken I care of. Take care of number I mean, one. No, yeah. that was part of it. Like, you can't, you actually legally can't do this can't to me because me. I know my rights. Right. But but it wasn't, oh, it's because it's my right. Well, it's like, well, because I want to keep preaching the gospel. And actually, then he realized, I still have opportunities to preach the gospel, even to like that, you know, in Rome to um, the, the, the guards and, yeah, and everybody. Yeah, the Praetorian Guard and the it's Imperial like, Guard. It's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And he, the household of Caesar. Yeah, yeah, that's what preaching, I was trying to, yeah. the whole thing. That's yeah. what in Philippians, Philippians. he said that. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And and so you, you never know what God will use to bring the gospel to those um, right. that we weren't previously. Yeah, even sinful, unjust even things. like this. Uh, and so now we get to the next question of to what degree, if at all, can a Christian support war, the demise of governments, or the downfall of specific individuals? Now, this question, when I wrote it, was because I was doing kind of, I was praying about it, I was seeking my own heart, because there are a few times in my life that I can think of where I'm just so begging God for his justice to come down on the right. perpetrators of such evil. And if this is our man-made sinful hearts, hating injustice and hating murder and senseless war and death on all sides, how much more so must a perfect God who seeks perfect justice and loves us as his own creation, and we're all made in his image, how much, how much more so must he be angry? Right. And, you know, so me thinking like, oh, you know, Lord, I want you to, you know, you know, make the Russian weapons, you know, malfunction. <laughs> Would you like confuse their maps? You know, all these things that, that will, will hinder their ability to bring death and destruction. And, and then praying for the Ukrainians that they would, you know, that their supplies would last longer, that they right. would be able to withstand mm -hmm. and endure, that they would be able to bring um, 
captives. That's a big part of it is, is remembering in my heart, like pray for the prisoners and that people would surrender and that they'd be allowed to surrender um, is a huge part of that prayer. But I was realizing in my heart that even praying for the downfall of specific individuals like Vladimir Putin, that he would lose his position of influence and power um, as the perpetrator of this evil. I was like, oh man, am I allowed to pray for that? Am I allowed to think about that? So I was wondering, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that as, as a pastor, as right. a Christian, as we talk about this, what do you think? I think that's a, it's a great question. And again, it's a question that we should be asking ourselves, that we should allow ourselves to ask. I think, I think too often we go through without asking the question. Like we have, I think probably a lot of us as Americans have the view of, I don't even have to ask. Yeah. Mm-hmm get a sniper, take him out, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, yes, do it. It'd be yeah, like, you, yeah, you saw Lindsey Graham tweeted, and this is huge in the news, I think, three days ago. You know, can somebody assassinate Vladimir Putin? Right. Which is, I mean, it's a whole other conversation when you have one of the heads, <laughs> when you have a, a senator calling yeah. for the assassination of another, of another political, political leader. leader. Of leader of a country. Yeah, that's a whole other question. That's a whole other ethical and political question. But that's the natural question. question but, and, and that's yeah. our natural desire. Just take him out. You know, it's like, if you were alive during World War II, we'd be like, yeah, man, just go take out Hitler. Just boom. Mussolini, take yeah. Out, yeah, take him any of them out. Okay, actually, then go back to even some of Alex Stalin. Like, he did some pretty bad stuff. Horrific yeah, things. Take him out, you know. Um, or any the Chinese. You know, yeah, like, Mao what you, and what he did. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So, all that. Um, actually, again, going back to uh, D.A. Carson's book, he, he wrote this book, um, just to give some context, in... It was actually written from a series of lectures he did in 2001, pre-9-11. The book was published in 2002. So in that time, he added some stuff to his book um, and did a case study on, because mm. um, at the time, you know, Osama bin Laden was the big target. Absolutely. Big target. Perpetrator of 9-11. Right. So he has all these good questions in here like, so how do, like, let's apply this, how do we love our enemies to Osama bin Laden? Mm. And it's like, that's a hard question. Right. And, and the view that God is still a God of justice. Mm. He is a God of love and justice. And that's the thing is you shouldn't, his refrain in this book, and I agree, is you shouldn't absolutize one aspect of God's love. Like mm. God is love, but it is also loving to, to help people, to mm-hmm. save people. God is a God of justice and wrath. So it's like, don't. Perfectly. Yeah, perfectly. Without and sin. It, and that's the thing also, there's another, there's another aspect, I think it was in, Tozer's book, but there's another quote that I absolutely love. All of God does all that God does. Mm. So it's not, well, he's loving right now, and then he'll be wrathful at another point. It's no, he is loving and wrathful at the same time. Perfectly. Perfectly. All the time. And all of his other attributes. And all, all of, of his other all attributes. Of yeah. All yeah. It's, a, it's, it's crazy. So, that, so when you start and think, you know, can I... Can I wish, like, an assassination of a leader? Can mm-hmm. I wish death on someone? Um, there's that tension between justice and... And then the other point, I think the other point is seeing them as still an individual made in the image of God. Yeah, absolutely. That's the tension. They're still an individual made in the image of God. And I think as Christians, we ought not take joy mm. in the death of anybody. And I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to care, be careful about those words. Maybe be happy might be a better word, mm. but we shouldn't be pleased and like 
like mm. in a sense, you know, like there's a yeah. sense, there's a sense of relief. Okay, we got Osama. Oh, it's done. That's that's a sense of relief, and that's a sense of joy. The person there has that been could justice. perpetrate even more evil, right, has been brought to justice. And I, I want to say, I had a, a great um, RA in college at CIU, and he and I were having a conversation about this back in 2015, and we we're talking about through the lens of capital punishment. Um, and I was arguing for capital punishment. He was arguing against it. We were just having a conversation about it. And the thing that he said that completely switched how I thought about things was Christ's perspective of, one, forgive them. Even as he's being tortured to death, he's saying, forgive them. Right. And two, that person has just lost their last opportunity to repent. And we can guess what kind of judgment they're going to, and it shouldn't oh, ever for capital punishment for yeah, a death sentence, or, or yeah. yeah, or for you know an assassination or mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. That you would look at that and go, "Oh man, he's going to be brought to judgment and justice." And my desire as a Christian is for all to hear the gospel and respond. And actually, and that's God's, and that's that's, that's God's desire too. What is that? Exactly, that Ezekiel. Um, but that's that's. I'm paraphrasing, and I think it's the first out of Ezekiel that God desires none that should die, but all should. Um, butchering yeah, that, the paraphrase. If yeah. you know, if you know the verse, look at, try to look it up. I'm but that, but we it. see God's heart in that, right? He, it's, so that's God's heart. Isn't not? It's not God's heart that I love squishing people with my thumb. I exactly. love killing people. It's He's like, merciful. It's, but he. It's like he doesn't. That's so. That's the same way. That's so. That's the. Ten, that's mm. not the tension in God, but that's the unfathomable part of God mm. because How he can be perfectly just. Yeah. He can be perfectly just and go, no, I will bring wipe justice. you out. Yeah. I will wipe out entire cities. I will bring justice to everyone at the Gamora. end of time. Sodom and Gomorrah. Famous example. Yeah, I will do that. And yet, I don't desire that mm. people should die. And this is, I think, what brings in, because the next question is, how, how does wanting justice balance with being a peacemaker? I think here's the number one thing we learn from Scripture. And it says it itself, vengeance belongs to the Lord, mm-hmm. right? And so we see, man, our hearts are so prone to malice and, and greed and to, uh, you know, eye for an eye, uh, maybe eye for two eyes if we get the chance, right? things like that. And we see we're called to be the peacemakers because we know the one who will bring justice. And as far as we're able to bring peace to whatever situation we're in. Now, how we bring peace, that, that gets into the idea of the armed forces, the resistance. Well, but. And, and, you know, to connect back to that last question, you know, some would argue, well, would it bring peace to assassinate Vladimir Putin? It's like, maybe. Hmm. Um, yeah, maybe. But, so, and that's, but that's where the whole conversation of that justice comes in because it's... Um, it's not, you know, it shouldn't be done out of just a personal vendetta no. or out of this just bitterness and rage, mm. but out of a pursuit of justice. And I think that's part of it where it uh, goes to, you know, if the government it chooses to exercise its ability to use its military force to have regime change right. or something like that, I think that's one of the the beautiful places where Christians can say, well, that wasn't my decision. Right. You know, I let the government bear the sword against another government that was acting unjustly. Um, and I'm a part of the peace process. 
Mm-hmm. It's a, it's it's very it's very fascinating to think about how do yeah. we do this because I'm not sure if you guys can tell if you're listening or watching. This is not an easy <laughs> this is not an easy thing to it's find not a, a cut balance and dry. It's because not, we want to make it one way or the other. Right. And um yeah. So uh, like Don Carson had a great quote about Osama bin Laden. He's like, you know, should we weep for the death of Osama mm. or should we desire to see him brought to justice? Yes. Mm. Maybe yes. Just yes. Yeah. Because he is an individual made in the image of God. It should not delight. Mm. He's lost his chance for repentance. And and yet he, and well, and it's like, yeah, there's plenty of times, but but he is an individual that needs to be brought Mm. to justice. I mean, he obviously is by now. Um, But that was the thing is like people like that, you go, there is a sense in which, sorry, bro, like this is part of, living in a world in which there needs to be justice and mm. God has designed there to be justice. We ought to be, we ought to be championing mm. justice mm. in, in all forms. Yeah. And it's, and it's so, and, and just like I said a second ago, you know, this is a hard topic. What is so good and encouraging to me is knowing that the Lord has it under control. Yeah. That at the end of, of everything, there will be perfect justice administered to all those who deserve perfect right. justice. And there will be perfect mercy to all those who have called on the name of Christ and repented and believed in their hearts that Christ is Lord, confessed it with their mouths and repented of their sin, that we will receive mercy. And so that is a huge encouragement. It's like, man, I don't know how this is going to shake out, you know, on earth. And, and I know I have Ukrainian friends who I've talked to about this, where they're going, this is such a hard situation for us because we're literally watching family members die yeah. because of this injustice. But at the same time, I know that I can forgive my enemies. Yeah. And they are walking through it right now. And it is incredible to see because my reaction is for vengeance and their reaction is for forgiveness. And that influences like, oh man, I need to check my own heart. And forgiveness doesn't necessarily um, contradict or, or eliminate mm. justice. The seeking of justice. Absolutely. Like you could forgive. And yet, perhaps there still would be consequences. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, what, that's one of the things we learn from the Lord, that he will absolutely forgive us when we repent of our sins. But that doesn't mean that you get a free pass out of punishment. Yeah. Look, at, da- yeah, look at King David. Forgive like him. He, he repented wholeheartedly for his sin with Bathsheba and for literally orchestrating the murder of, of Uriah. Uh, Uriah. He repented wholeheartedly. And, and yet, was forgiven. And was forgiven. And yet, God's like, mm, your son's dead. Still punished. And then your whole family was broken after that. Mm. Um, and and even, he wasn't able to build the temple because of sins well, that actually, he had done in his life. Yeah, and actually that's a great point too because you look at Old Testament stuff and you go, well, God sanctioned, you know, David was a warrior. He was. David killed lots of people. He did. He was a war, and he was renowned for it and the Lord gave him strength to do it. And yes, yeah, so it's like Lord, it's like God sanctioned war, right? Yeah. Literally God sanctioned war. Yeah. Okay. And yet, God said, you know, because you've you're had so much blood. war, you're a man of blood, you're not going to build my house. Mm. So it's like, whoa, you what does that, that show balance. you about God? Yeah. <laughs> what does that show you about God? It's crazy. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's the beautiful aspect of God is that he, yeah, he's that complex mm. sort of unity of, of nature. And then as, as we wrap up, one of the questions um, that I got that actually led to us talking about this on 
today's podcast. What can we as Christians do who mm-hmm. aren't living? So we talk about Christians in Ukraine. You know, we talk about peacefully protesting. And we talk about being a part of the war effort. I've even heard a, in that. I even heard a story, uh, read a story on Gospel Coalition of a Christian pastor in Ukraine who, and I, I don't know this guy's stance on violence or anything. I don't know what they're doing there, but they just he decided to stay and train his congregation in like administering first aid. Mm. Like, how awesome is that? Like, maybe they're defending themselves with weapons. I don't know. But at minimum, he's saying, you know what? We're going to help. Mm. We're going to be able to help people. We're going to learn how to put tourniquets on, administer basic EMT kind of stuff. Like, it's that's a beautiful thing for the church to go, I can be a force for good mm. in this terrible situation. I think that's a, that's a huge thing, is consider what is the most peaceable and loving thing that I can do, even amidst this hard environment. That's just a good standard, mm-hmm. right? Because they had the option of, I can teach my congregation how to, you know, make Molotov cocktails, but mm-hmm. the government's already doing that. What can I do? But what, what is there going to, where is there going to be a massive, a, a massive yeah. need in my community? Let me teach my people how to make bandages yeah. and teach them how to put on, ter- I mean, I think that is such a beautiful illustration of ways that we can take part and in ways that we can also say, there needs we're, we're to be justice. Different. There needs to be justice, but I'm going to help in mm. this way. Um, but you know, people over here, yeah, I mean, I think obviously prayer is a huge thing. Absolutely. And then, um, and I know you you were looking at some. We were just looking at Airbnb and like Airbnb is like donate to help house. You can so if you have an Airbnb, you can send in an application to them to house a refugee, and they'll talk to you about you know whether it's free or not or how much Airbnb will chip in towards the cost to help house refugees. And then there's also, um, there are plenty of great Christian churches out there that are still accepting donations on their website, that are still taking transactions. Yeah, in Ukraine. I just did that last week to help one of my friend's churches. Um, I'm like, man, this I know exactly where this money is going. I know exactly how it's going to be used. They were helping uh, to pay for gas for evacuations and vans um, to get out of the city. And I'm like, wow, like, and that, what an advance of the gospel that is, that they can practically show the love of Christ to the people around them, risking their lives for their safety well, and I showing think, them love of neighbor. And what a great way for the church to be the church global. Mm. Absolutely. You Those know, are our brothers and sisters, not just, you know, oh, that's a really oh, it's Ukrainians. tough situation. It's Ukrainians and I'm an American and I'm so sorry for them. But These are but, my brothers and sisters. Yeah, like we're, we're one family. Even mm. though, yeah, we're in America, you're in Ukraine, we're one family under Christ. Mm. So how can we particular? like, I think there's a particular need to see what organizations and, and what opportunities there are to help other believers in Ukraine. And, and that might be a good avenue again, hopefully trusted avenues to get mm. help to the rest of refugees and stuff. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I think um, one of the good questions is, you know, like you said, prayers, huge prayers, what changes everything? Um, so, and not just saying, Hey, sending thoughts and prayers right. and leave it at that, but genuinely take time. I mean, at least once a week and, and really consider we're having dinner with some friends outside. It was a beautiful night. I think it was like 80 degrees at night, but it was like not hot. You know what I mean? It was just perfect. Oh, back weather. last week when it was like spring, Yeah, it was just perfect weather. We were grilling uh, chicken. We were just sitting outside enjoying a beautiful night and we were talking and I literally just stopped and I was like, no one in Ukraine can do this. No one. They don't have peace like this. And right. we just prayed for, for, for this kind of peace to, to be able to be real again in Ukraine. Right. Um, 
And so I think that's an important thing. Don't forget what it's like, you know, and it's easy for us to just say, oh, well, that's the situation there, but genuinely pray for them for peace to come, um, for goodness to come. And I think uh, to look up uh, evangelical organizations that are helping and assisting uh, in the European Union, churches that are opening their doors to be refugee centers, there's so many ways to help, uh, and every dollar counts. Right. Honestly, is huge. And I'll tell you, Ukraine will eventually win this war, whether it's, you know, right out and they, they beat them militarily and retain their borders, or they have to wait a long time under occupation for freedom. But they've been occupied before and they've gotten their freedom and they'll get their freedom again. But there will be an opportunity for people to go back to that country and help with the process of bringing peace and restoration to a broken and hurt nation. And if we have the means, if we have the capacity, if we feel the calling from the Lord to go and be a part of that effort, that is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, that is, we, we, we were asking ourselves the same question 30 years ago when the wall fell down of, wow, what an opportunity we have now to go to a place that was close to the gospel and was hostile and dangerous, and now we can go in peace and be a part of the rebuilding process in the name of Christ. Right. So eventually that'll happen to, to aid the missionaries that are going there, uh, who will go there, or to possibly even be one. I think that's a prayer we can ask ourselves. You know, and then also, too, is praying for your leaders, and that's mm. clear in Scripture. It's pray for Absolutely. your leaders. Um, and I think we, I mean, I forget so much to do this, but it's like, oh, you don't like the way the country's going, you don't like what they're doing. Like, man, pray for them. You know, does that mean all my prayers come true? No. Mm. But I think the other thing that prayer is a powerful thing, because God already knows. God already knows. Mm. But what prayer is a powerful thing to do is also to change my heart mm. because I'm trying to align myself more and more with God's heart. With his will. His with will his be will. done. So it's like, Lord, I want your will to be done with these leaders, so please empower our leaders mm-hmm. to make the wisest decisions possible. And that way, now I'm not just hating my leaders. Oh, mm. you guys never make the right decisions. You don't do this. You, you don't do this. Yeah. All right, the other guy should be in office, blah, 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 blah. It's and like, more division and more hatred right. and more unrest. Right. It's like, no, you should be praying for your leader. Wisdom and, and peace. And it, praying good, yeah. I mean, maybe praying for Putin to change. You know, I mean, Absolutely. there's no, like, you could pray for it, like, pray for Putin to change. Um because without the God, without Christ, mm. there is no hope for like. There's no lasting justice. There's mm. no hope for actual true peace. Mm. So it's like, yeah, you, the gospel needs to to be there. Christ's love needs to to change people's hearts. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a great thing to to pray for your leaders, even those you disagree with, mm. so that you can be more in line with with God's will. Absolutely, and I think uh, a good way to kind of close out the podcast is just that reminder that God will bring perfect justice. And until then, however we're called, when we check our hearts to the Lord's will, when we check our actions to Scripture, be a part of the peacemaking process. I'm not sure how that'll play out in each one of your individual lives. I don't know how it's going to play out in each individual Ukrainian's life. But however you can be a part of the peace process. And as you've heard from this conversation, it's complicated Mm -hmm. on how that looks. But if you genuinely submit it to the Lord and act out of love of neighbor... I think the Lord will have a lot of mercy with that as you go forward and as you ask him for his wisdom and what to do. Right. Ask him for his wisdom and you seek wisdom from other Mm. um, probably older, wiser uh, believers. Nothing new under the sun. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Sean, thanks so much for being on the show. We hope this has been an encouragement to you guys as you heard and as we've said uh, before in the podcast, we'll say it again. This is a difficult 
topic of conversation, but it's a good topic of conversation. It, it's hard, and that means that we should certainly be engaging with it as Christians. So the next time you're talking to a family member about this or maybe someone around the water cooler, uh, pray for a moment and say, you know, Lord, how can I be a part of this conversation in a godly way? And we hope that this conversation that we've had can help you have those kinds of conversations um, throughout the rest of your week and throughout the rest of however long this crisis lasts. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. No problem. Thank you for tuning into this production from Sand Hills Media Ministry. This episode was produced and hosted by John Dabeck. Audio mixing and camera work and guest, Sean Wigner. Post-production by Eric Wigner. Our song is Same Blood Instrumental by King's Kaleidoscope. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us through liking, subscribing, and sharing with your friends on social media. It does more than you know to fuel this podcast. If you'd like to know more about Sandhills or join us on a Sunday, you can do so at sandhillschurch.org.